Good to see everyone. We welcome those who are joining us by way of live stream today. Just want to give a shout out to Hannah Caldwell. So we're praying for Hannah. We appreciate the updates and for mom and dad, Bob and Joy as well. Great to see you guys. And so we're going to continue our series on first things first. And so again, life gets kind of crazy. We all are juggling a lot of different things. That's why it's important to take a step back and make sure we're keeping the main thing, the main thing, or the first thing the first thing. And so uh, we're going to continue in that. If you remember, as we've been talking the last couple of weeks, the really the root of everything that is first and everything that is good always goes back to God. Because in Isaiah 44, 6, it says, I am the first and the last. Besides me, there is no other God. So God literally is the first and the last. So whenever you're studying first, always goes back to God every time, all right? And so we've been mentioning the first uh, sermon we did was when a scribe came to Jesus and said, what is the first commandment, the first and great commandment? And again, a good question. What is the most important thing about this book? That's what he was asking Jesus. What is it all about? And Jesus responded, the first commandment or the great commandment is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbors ourselves. And I just want to remind you, everything we do in a church ultimately should be to get people to have a love relationship with God, number one, and right next to that or right with that is learning to love the body of Christ. How many of you think it's kind of a, a great journey to love the body of Christ? We're not always lovable. And I'm speaking for pastors here. I know that we're not always lovable. And so it really is an amazing journey. I want to tell you, I feel like the most blessed person on the planet to be able to pastor, to be able to be connected to a body of believers. And by far, the journey of the church has been amazing for me. And so I've been at it about 42 years now. I always think of that first line out of the book. Uh, what's the book that starts out? It was the best of times and the worst of times. What is it? Tale of Two Cities. I've never read the book, but I know the first line. I didn't know the book, but I knew the first line. The Tale of Two Cities, it says, it's the best of times, it was the worst of times. And in church life, it really is the highest highs and sometimes the lowest lows. But, you know, through the journey, aren't you so thankful that God stays with us and he has patience with us during the process, all right? And so... Uh, the church at Ephesus that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, again, probably the greatest church that's ever been planted, ever existed, had some of the greatest leadership ever. And if you think any church would have ever made it, it would have been them. And they were doing almost everything right, Jesus said in Revelation 2. They were toiling to the point of exhaustion. They weren't tolerating false teaching. They were doing it for his namesake. They were not becoming weary. So they were literally hitting on 99.9% .9 of all cylinders. But Jesus said in all of their going, he had one thing against this church, and that is they left their first love. I mean, when you think about that, the first thing Satan wants you to let go of is your passionate love for God. Because he knows that if you fall out of love with God, literally everything else will start falling apart. And so Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, if you remember, if you don't get this right, I'm going to remove your lampstand or your witness. And this is a picture of the church at Ephesus today. They obviously 
didn't survive. And so I just want to remind us in 2021, in all of our going and all of our doing, I hope that your love relationship with God is absolutely the most important thing to you. And again, having that honeymoon love and just having that passion for God is so important. The last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the gospel, evangelism, and missions. And we've looked in the book of Romans chapter 1. And again, God's order in the natural realm is to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Again, I want to say, as I did many times last week, God loves us all the same. I don't think God's love differs between the Jew and the Gentile. I think in the spirit realm, as Galatians 3 says, in the spirit realm, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male or female. So in the spirit realm, we are all 100% equal. But in the physical realm, again, there's an order. And God's order is the Jew first, and then the Gentile. Let's read again from Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Very familiar verse when you think about the power of the gospel, uh, the power of evangelism. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And so again, that word first is the Greek word proton, and it means especially or above all. So he's not saying that, that other people groups are not important. I think God wants us to reach every people group. But he's saying in all of our going and all of our doing, make sure we have a special place in our heart for the Jewish people. If you remember from last week, because it was to the Jewish people that God gave his word. It was from the Jewish people that God gave us the Messiah. And so Paul says, in essence, just out of respect, we need to have a special place in our heart for the Jewish people. Now, one day, as we looked at last week in Revelation 7, there's going to be people from every tribe, tongue, and people on the face of the earth standing before God. So his love and his grace is for all mankind, all right? And so today, we're going to look at some other firsts in the Bible, some other firsts. little trivia question here. How many of you know where the, the word first first appears in the, Bible, in the New Testament? I'll say the New Testament. Who knows the first time that first is used in the New Testament? It's used on the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus was sharing. He uses it a couple of times, same word, proton. And so let's look at it. First of all, he says, be reconciled to your brother. And so these are a couple of believers who are a little bit upset. How many of you have ever been upset at another believer? You guys are godly people, godly people. And, and if you didn't raise your hand, or no, you should have raised your hand, you should be at the altar today getting right with God. The truth is, <laughs> is it, does, God has to have a sense of humor when he designed the church where we need each other. He designed the church like a body, and Paul said, some are eyes, some are ears, some are noses, but we need each other. And I want to tell you, I've seen Christians try to do it without the church. I've had people tell me, Pastor, I can worship God out at the lake, and you can worship God out at the lake. And I think it's okay to go to the lake some weekends. But I want to say to you, it's impossible to fulfill the love of God without the brothers and sisters. You just cannot do it. As a matter of fact, John is so bold to say, if you say you love God and hate your brother, you're a liar. Now, I wouldn't be that bold. But, but John says it's impossible to love God and not love your brother. You have to love your brother if you love God. So the two go hand in hand. 
And so I often say to people, jokingly, ministry would be great if it wasn't for people. And of course, I'm looking in the mirror when I say that. Because this is the toughest character I've ever dealt with right here. I look at his face every day in the mirror. But you know, God designed the church, and I'm so glad that he did. I'm so glad God designed the church where we need each other. Because one of the ways you can gauge, by the way, your love for God, because some people say, how do I know how much I love God? It's not how much time you spend in the Bible. That's important. But the Pharisees immersed themselves in Scripture, and they didn't love God. It's impossible to pray on a regular basis and not be in love with God. The Pharisees and scribes prayed a lot. One of the ways we know that we love God is when we begin to love his children. When you find yourself falling in love with the children of God, even though we're all a work in progress, even though we have imperfections, when you find yourself saying, I'm going to that church, I'm not sure why I'm going, I'm kind of frustrated with the preacher, but I just can't stay home. That's when you know you're getting there. That's when you know you're getting there. It really is true. And I remember when I gave my heart to the Lord at the age of 13. Now, I grew up in church. As I've shared my testimony, my parents made us go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I was drugged to church a lot. I had a drug problem. They were always dragging me to church. I didn't want to go. How many of you ever didn't want to go to church and your parents made you? I just thought that was so cruel. Every Sunday morning, I had a Sunday sickness. I just didn't feel that good. But they always made me, they always made me go. And I was in a service I didn't want to be at. When the Lord spoke to my heart, I gave my life to Jesus. So I just want to say to you parents, and I know parents tell me, well, Pastor, I don't want to make my kids go if they don't want to go because I just don't want them to have a bad feeling. I say to them, well, do you make them go to school? Even if they don't want to go to school, you make them go to school? Well, of course we make them go to school. They need to go to school. I want to tell you, what's more important than experiencing God? I mean, what's more important than getting your kids where they're exposed to the gospel and the love of God? And so, yeah, I don't always want to go to the doctor. How many of you just love going to the doctor? And if you're a doctor, I, I tell my dentist, I'm really honest, I tell my dentist, nothing personal, but I never look forward to seeing you. I just never look forward to seeing you. Because it always means a little bit of discomfort, you know. But I love my dentist. He's a great guy. He's a brother in the Lord. But again, the body of Christ is an amazing journey. And so as we're in love with God, and that's the number one focus, that's why Jesus said the two go hand in hand. Loving God and loving your fellow man, on these two hang all the law and the prophets. They always go hand in hand. So let's look at the scripture there in Matthew 5. It says, if you bring your gift to the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now, unlike today, we used to pass the plate and now we have the offering box in the back because of the COVID. But back in the day, they would bring their gift to the altar. And it really was a part of worship. The bell is going off. This is not time to dismiss, all right? Everybody's going, man, are we out of here? All right, everybody take a breath, all right? And so again, they would bring their gift to the altar and they would lay it at the altar as an act of worship. And Jesus is saying, if you're bringing a gift of, of, to the Lord, and it is good to give the Lord a, a gift, but he says, if, you, if your brother has ought against you, you need to go to your brother before you leave the gift. Now, I want to say how hard it is. If I'm being really honest, one of the hardest things in life and ministry is to go to someone. And notice it says there, not that you're against someone, but someone has ought against you. 
Now, I know, I can still remember as a young pastor, there was a young couple in our church at Gerald, and we only were running 25. How many of you think 25 people ought to love the pastor? I mean, 25 people should love the pastor. But we had one young couple in there. I mean, they did everything they could. I mean, while I'm preaching, he's watching his watch, and he's shaking it. How many of you know you can be bored with the preacher and not look at your watch? Are you know, some of you that are spiritual act like you're praying as you're looking at the watch. But he did everything he could to just let me know he was bored, he was miserable. And, you know, just, it just, and I don't know why. Can you imagine anybody not loving me? Doesn't that seem so impossible? Isn't that how you feel? I mean, in honesty, don't you feel like, why in the world would people not love you? But the truth is, God puts people in our life that sometimes rub us the wrong way. And they also expose some of the fault in our own life. I want to stand up and say that without a doubt, those people that God has put in my life that were very, very difficult, I call them sandpaper Christians. I believe the reason God put them in my life was not because they needed to get straightened out. Now, they had some issues, but the main reason was me. And God's been telling me, unless I can love my enemy, I, I really am not where I need to be. And so again, God has designed the church. And if you're looking for a perfect church, there is no perfect church. And the reason there's no perfect church, there's no perfect people. Some of you say, it'd be so much easier to just stay at home. But you know what happens when you're not with the body of Christ? As you're growing in your love for God, you just want to be around the body of Christ. Because again, you cannot separate the two of those things. So he says, first of all, if you know somebody has something against you, you need to go to that person. I think I shared some uh, back early on in my ministry. I think I was a youth pastor. I overheard a lady criticizing me. Now, my, my initial reaction is my blood pressure, I could feel it start to rise. How many of you, when you hear something negative about you, how many of you just really receive that with joy? Because again, why wouldn't people love us? And so I, I overheard her say something about it. My, my temperature, I, I could feel my blood pressure rise. And I was thinking of all the things I was going to say back to her. I was kind of planning my attack. And what, as I was planning, kind of wanting to get even, it was like the Holy Spirit said to me, you know, she's right. You do have some uh, work in that area. How many of you hate it when God disrupts I mean, I, I was working this out, man. I was going to get even. I was going to get back, and I was going to tell her what I thought and in Jesus' name, of course. But, I mean, I was going to get back. And God said, you do have a problem there. He said, I want you to go to that lady, and I want you to ask her to pray for you, that you'll be better. It was really, really hard in the flesh to go to this lady. And I said, I've got to be honest. I overheard you talking about me. And, he, and I said, you know, God told me that you were right, that I have some work in that area. And I would really appreciate it if you would pray for me to make some improvement. And she said, well, I'll pray for you. And I said, you know, right now. And so I knelt down right in front of her. And as she prayed, I can still remember to this day, I was probably about 20 years old. As she prayed for me, I never remember her one time even mentioning my name. But she began to weep and she began to pray about what was going on in her life. But you know, the truth is, sometimes God puts sandpaper in our life to help kind of rub us and help reveal and expose some hardness in the heart. 
I've shared with the church many times, and if you're ever asked, who's the hardest person ever in the church? You could always use my name. You have my permission. God has revealed so many times my pride, my arrogance, my lack of being able to see myself as God sees me. But you know, aren't you glad that God put us together so we could help shape and mold and sand the rough edges off? Because, again, it's impossible to love God without being in love with his children. You just cannot separate those two things. So first of all, I just want to ask, is everything right? Is there anything that anyone has against you? If you know there's some tension, you say, how do I know if there's tension? Well, if the person's name comes up and you feel your neck start to get hard, there's probably a problem. Or if you avoid somebody because you don't want to see them, that could be a problem. I mean, one thing nice about this sanctuary, there's about six or eight exits. And so if you don't want to see the pastor, you could go out a different exit. I never know you're mad at me. But I just want to say, is there anything? Can you think of someone who you feel like has wronged you? Are they wronged your family? And you've been kind of keeping that in the back of your mind. The Bible says, now again, I wish Jesus would have said they need to come to you and make it right. But Jesus said, if your brother has ought against you, you need to go to your brother. Is there someone that you need to go to and just make things right? Now, again, what happens if you go to them and they don't receive it? If you go to them in honesty and humility and they don't receive it, I believe God has released you. You've done everything you're supposed to do, and it's between them and God. But it takes a weight off of our shoulders when we obey God. Now, how many of you know eating crow does not taste good? But they say, and I've heard this, and I think it's really true, that if you swallow it while it's warm, it goes down easier. The longer you let something fester, the harder it is to get that right. I think I've shared back in my early days of pastoring, we had a lady who came forward one day. We were in the Gerald campus, and we were still in the basement. We, haven't, we didn't even finish the upstairs yet, so we were meeting downstairs. I remember her coming to me, and God just convicted her that her dad had abused her when she was young. Now, I don't know if it was physical, mental, verbal, I'm not sure. But she had held on. She was probably in her 50s. And she had held on to bitterness against her dad who had wronged her. And let me just go on record as saying, one of the things I have a really hard time with is child abuse. I mean, I really struggle with someone who abuses a child. But, you know, she was convicted that she needed to go to her dad and make it right. And so I prayed for her, and it had been probably 40 years. Can you imagine 40 years you let that fester in your heart? And so I prayed for her, and man, I was, you know, cheering her on and everything. And, and the next Sunday, she came in, and when she came in the door, man, she had rivers of Maybelline coming down her eyes. I mean, the Spirit of God fell before I even got up to preach, and that's how it usually happens. But she came down, and I mean, God had just released her from a debtor's prison. I mean, she came down t crying, Maybelline running down her cheeks, and she began to just share that she went to her dad, she made things right, and, and they prayed together, and she said, you will never, I, there's no way to describe the weight that was lifted off of my shoulders and my heart. Isn't it crazy that we let something fester all that long? And so Jesus says, first of all, the first time first is in the Bible is, 
that if your brother has ought against you, go to your brother. Make it right. So I just want to ask you, is there anyone that you need to go to this week or you need to contact and just make it right? And again, they may not deserve it, but God says that we're to do it. We're to humble ourselves, go to our brother or sister and make it right. And so I want to challenge you to obey the Lord in that way. The second time first comes up in the New Testament is also in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, take a good look at yourself in the mirror. I want to go on record as saying the hardest person to analyze by a long shot for me is me. Isn't it crazy how we can see in others what we cannot see in ourselves? That's human nature, by the way. That's true physically and spiritually. We all have flaws. We all have things we're working on. Now, physically, we try to cover them up. How many of you have ever tried to cover up a flaw physically? Maybe you comb your hair a certain way. Maybe you put body putty on. You wear certain clothes or whatever. And you try to cover up those flaws. Now, some of you have a perfect earth suit. I envy you perfect earth suit people. But almost all of us have a few flaws. But you know, no matter how we try to cover them up, isn't it amazing how kids can see them? I've shared back when I was at my very first start in the ministry, and this is my story, and I know many of you heard it, but I was doing children's church, and I was up there excited. I was talking about Jesus, and a little girl raised her hand. And so I thought I had invoked a question. I thought I had really stirred her heart for God. And so I said, do you have a, a question? She said, yeah. She said to me, I know why girls don't like you. Now, right in the middle of a Bible study, we're right in the middle of talking about the gospel. And she said, I know why girls don't like you. Now, I was single at the time. How many of you guys, when you were single, I didn't know if she had taken a survey or what. I mean, so I was going to find out. How many of you guys would like to know that? And so I asked, I'm right in the middle of my, my sermon. I said, why don't girls like me? She said, you got bumps all over your face. Now, she could have noticed my Billy Graham suit. Back then, I, I had a three-piece suit on. I looked good. But she didn't notice my suit. She didn't notice how, back then, I had longer hair. I combed it over. I, spent, I don't know how much time I spent in front of the mirror getting all that hair just right. She didn't notice that. She noticed the bumps. And the truth is, now I tell people I've done so many weddings, there's a lot of scars now from getting hit with the rice. I walked out too soon. I mean, so you got to always cover yourself. But you know, no matter how we try to cover our flaws, physically and spiritually, they stand out. I just want to tell you, we're all a work in progress. And so when you think coming to a church, you're going to get around people that have it all together, it is not true. It will not be true. Until we step over to the other side, as long as I have breath on this earth, I am going to be a work in progress. I want Brenda to put on my casket or at my funeral... Uh, one thing I wanted to put there, and I got it from uh, Ruth Graham. I wish I would have thought of it, but she thought of it. But I wanted to put a sign up that says, Construction now complete. Thank you for your patience. Because when I step over to the other side, I will be complete as I can be. But until I get to the other side, I just want you to know we're all going to have flaws. We're all going to have things. And so Jesus says, before you start trying to straighten everybody else out, Start with yourself. And it really is a good rule of thumb. And here's what I found, that when I begin to focus on me, there's so much I need to straighten out, I really don't have time 
to worry about you guys. All right? So this is what he says in Matthew 7. He first of all says, Do not judge, criticize, and condemn others unfairly with an attitude of self-righteous superiority. And by the way, whenever you talk about someone else, you're putting yourself in a position of judge. Because literally, when you're talking about another brother or sister, you are judging them. You are criticizing their flaws. Now again, we all have them. But what happens is, again, you're putting yourself in a position of being a judge. He goes on to say this. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? I wonder if Jesus is saying that the people that are critical, the people that gossip a lot, are typically, they have bigger problems themselves. I mean, how ridiculous would it be? How ridiculous would it be if I had a telephone pole on my nose and I came up and said, Steve has a little speck on his head. Look at that speck. It's so ridiculous. And I've got a telephone pole. That would be so ridiculous. I wonder if Jesus is saying that again, that if we find ourselves talking about other people, that literally we probably have bigger problems ourselves. I remember back in my early days, again, there was a lady, one of the greatest ladies, faithful, loved the Lord, but she had a, she had a problem with talking. She gossiped. Now her daughter said to her, Mom, that's gossip! And she said, Honey, that's not gossip. That's, that's constructive criticism. Right. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit said to the mom, That's gossip. Mom came forward and just got right with God. I'm going to tell you, this tongue here, the tongue of here, death and life are in that thing right there. Your tongue can lift up, your tongue can destroy. And I just want to say, I'm not saying that they don't have flaws. Everybody has flaws. But I don't think God wants us to be in a position of a judge to begin to criticize other people. I've, I've heard people get up. One thing that really bothers me is when a pastor gets up and begins to blast other denominations. That bothers me. Now, I often say this. Now, I'm not talking about like the Jehovah Witnesses that I don't believe are Christian. But I'm talking about other Christian denominations. Here's what I tell people. As soon as I get the Baptist straightened out, I will work on the Methodists. I promise. So far, we've got a lot to work on, all right? And so again, it's a work in progress. I always think we ought to focus on ourselves before we focus on others. And then he goes on to say here, how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. And by the way, people who, who gossip and people who talk about other people are hypocrites because they themselves have issues as well. And then he uses that word first, the word proton there. He says, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And here's what I've, I've discovered in 42 years pastoring. I've got so much of a plank, I've never had time to look at a speck. I think you'll discover that no matter how far you go with God, there's always something in your life that God is working on. And so again, the focus is not on trying to help straighten everybody else out. The focus is that I need to let God do some surgery on me, and I need to have compassion for my brothers and sisters. I love pastoring. I love the body of Christ. By far the greatest, again, the highest highs and the lowest lows have come around believers. 
But I'm so glad God designed it where we need each other. I mean, we got to have each other. He said, we're a body. He's the head. We're the body. And the biggest problem, again, in my 42 years, without a doubt, has been me. My pride, my arrogance. And when I began to look down my nose and began to talk about another believer or think something about another believer, I'm just telling you, that's wrong. We need to stay focused on what's going on in our life. So the second verse here, what are a couple things that you need to work on? I just want you to take just a couple seconds, and if you're watching at home, I just want you to ask God, what are a couple areas in your life? And if you can't think of any, ask your kids. Ask your spouse. And again, there's nothing wrong because we all have flaws. We all have things we're working on. Absolutely. But if we would begin to refocus on ourselves and our love for God, here's one thing you will always find, always 100%. That again, as you love God, you're going to find yourself just wanting to be with God's people. I can't explain it. I remember when I was 19, first really gave my heart, my life to Jesus, sold out. Even though I grew up in church all my life, I never wanted to go. I never really liked being at church until I was 19. I really sold out to God. I can't even tell you what happened, but all of a sudden, I just wanted to be in church. I don't remember if I liked the music. I don't know that I liked the message. I just wanted to be there. I mean, I can't even explain it. God just put it in my heart to be with his people. And that's what happens when you fall in love with God. And so again, you can always measure your love for God by how much you love your fellow man. Because again, they go hand in hand in the Bible. Number three here, Jesus said that in order to be first, proton, we need to be last, and the last will be first. And so he gives us kind of an unusual principle here, because again, the natural realm is we all want to be first. We all want to be kind of the top dog, and there's nothing wrong, by the way, with wanting to be first. It's okay to be first as long as you do it God's way. God says in order to be first, we need to be last, and and we need to be a servant of everyone else, all right? And so... At the very last verse of Matthew chapter 19, he says, Many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. And then he gives a parable right after that of the workers in the vineyard. And we looked at that back in the summer. If you remember, this owner went to hire workers for his vineyard. He went out early in the morning, and they agreed to a denarius for the day's wages. Then he went out at 3 o'clock, or the 3 hour, the 6 hour, the 9 hour, and the 11 hour. And all those times, he had more people go out into his field to work. The people that he got at the 11th hour, they only had to work one hour. One hour is all they had to work. And when it came time to pay, the owner said, I want to start with the ones we hired at the 11th hour and go all the way back. And the ones at the 11th hour that only had to work one hour got a full day's wages. And by the way, can I just say this about the grace of God? There's no employer that would ever give a day's wages for one hour. But I just want to remind you, the grace of God is ridiculously, lavishly rich. God gives abundantly above all that we deserve. And so he gave the ones that only worked one hour a denarius. Well, the ones that start out at the beginning of the day that had to work through the heat of the day, they thought, man, if they got a denarius, man, we're going to probably get a lot more. But they got the same exact wage as the ones who only worked an hour. 
And at the end of the parable, it ends the same way it began, so the last will be first and the first last. I just want to say this. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be first in God's eyes. But first is not how many people are serving us. First is how much can we serve other people. And here's what you will find in life. That when you begin to put it in your heart to serve other people, you're going to find a joy in your life. Your name may never be in the bulletin. You may never be recognized. Your name may never be in lights. But I will guarantee you, when you learn the art of serving, that you will experience the grace and the love of God. And I, I have said many times, this is probably one of the most giving, serving churches ever. And one of the great things about our church has nothing to do with staff, has nothing to do with the building, but it's the people willing to be able to serve behind the scenes when nobody's looking and they're just serving the body of Christ. He goes on to say this in Mark chapter 10, whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And so I just want to ask you today, and maybe you're doing exactly what God wants you to do. Maybe you're doing something because the pastor twisted your arm. How many of you know that because the pastor asked you to do it may not be God wants you to do it? But when you follow the heart of God, when you follow the heart of God and just to begin to serve, you know, this week we got a little snow on Wednesday. And I looked out the, the window, the office window, and there was Raymond Laramore out wiping the snow off of our cars, all the staff cars. Now, I should have been wiping it off of his car. He's a little bit older than I am, and he's out there wiping off all the snow, brushing it off every car. And I was going to go out there and stop him, and I felt like God say to me, no, he's serving me. Can I tell you, it would be a lot easier for me to go out and wipe his car off than to watch him wipe my car off. It was really hard to watch that. But I appreciate his heart. I remember one time taking a young guy out. He was, he was kind of a troubled kid, and I, I kind of worked with him a little bit. I was a youth pastor, and we took him out. I went out to lunch, and I, man, I was going to buy his lunch. And he said to me, I feel like God wants me to buy your lunch. He told that to me. And even though I appreciate that, when we got up to the counter, I paid first because I wanted to buy his lunch. But I can still remember his face as he looked up at me, and he looked very disappointed. And he said to me, God wanted me to buy your lunch. Sometimes it's hard to be on the receiving end of that. I don't know if you've ever been to a foot washing. Anybody here ever been to a, to a real foot washing? We don't do it really that much anymore, but... First time, as a youth pastor, I didn't know we weren't supposed to actually do it, so we had a youth washing with the youth. Now, how many of you know when you have a foot washing, it's not to clean your feet? I guarantee you, at that foot washing, everybody's feet were squeaky clean. The last thing I'm going to do is take off my shoes and socks and have lint between my toes or dirt. I mean, all those feet were squeaky clean. But I want to say to you, I just can't tell you how hard it was for a young person to get down and to wash my feet. It was much easier for me to get down and wash their feet. But serving in the body of Christ is such an incredible joy. 
And so, in order to be first in God's eyes, it really isn't who has the biggest title. I think we're going to be surprised in heaven, the people, and, and I say many times, I don't think many pastors are going to be at the front of the line. I don't. I think it's going to be a lot of people who work behind the scenes that no one knew anything about that God saw. And so I just want to encourage you, just find ways that you can serve the body of Christ. I think I shared with you guys when I was young, I know I need to kind of bring this to a close. When I went to a conference many years ago, there were little boys, uh, they called them RAs back at the time. They were kind of like Christian Boy Scouts, but they had little shoe signing kits and they were at the convention and they were going around. Back then we wore, you know, suits and ties, dress shoes. And so they would come up, these little bitty guys, they'd come up and say, we would consider it a privilege if we could shine your shoes. I can't tell you how hard it is for me to sit and watch a young little guy get down and shine my shoes. And then when he got done, he said, I just want to thank you for giving me the privilege of shining your shoes. Brent and I went to a pastor's conference down in Titusville, Florida, and all week they waited on us hand and foot. I mean, they treated us like royalty. It was a pastor and wife conference. At the end of the week, we should have got up and sang to the, to the kitchen crew. But all the kitchen crew came out after serving us hand and foot all week. They got out, they stood, and they all began to sing, Brothers and sisters, we appreciate you. What an honor it is to serve you. And they began to sing what a privilege it was to wait on us hand and foot. I can't tell you how small that made me feel because they're the ones that should have been sang to. And so I just want to tell you, don't become weary in doing good. Don't become weary because you're not noticed by the things that you're doing for other people because God notices. And so, again, find ways that you can serve others and just do it without anybody knowing. And so the last verse we're going to look at, and this will kind of prepare us for the Lord's Supper. For those of you that are watching by home, I apologize. I just had kind of a last-minute thing about having communion today, and so uh, you can come by church this week. We still want you to participate. But Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and this was a church that he established. He says, first of all, there's that word first, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. It's kind of crazy to think a church that Paul established, the Bible says they were divided four ways, they were condoning adultery, they were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. I mean, they were a mess. But Paul had a heart for that church, and he wrote to that church. He said, I'm writing to the church of God, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. He first of all told them who they were, and that as a result of who they were, he's saying, man, you guys are a mess. But aren't you glad that Paul stayed with this church, and he loved on this church, and he kept encouraging this church? That's God. You know, people that aren't real brothers and sisters, they will turn on you when you fall. But a real brother or sister is going to pray for you. They're going to encourage you. They're going to come when you fall and sit down there with you and love on you in a, in a big way. So as we prepare this morning for the Lord's Supper, uh, I want us to take just a moment, have a time of invitation. And if you're here today or if you're watching by way of stream, and maybe you just feel a tug in your heart, and maybe you've been going through the motions, and you know you're just kind of empty inside. Maybe today, for the first time in your life, is the day 
that you want to open up your heart and receive Christ. I was 13 years old, and I was in a service I didn't want to be in when God came down in a big way, and I just knew that I knew, I just knew that I knew that I needed Jesus. And so if you're here today, I just want to pray a simple prayer. If you need to be prayed for today, if you're here as a believer and you're just going through a tough time, we want you to slip out and come. We'll pray for you. Or maybe you have already been saved like these two young guys today and you've never been baptized. I believe that's the first step of obedience. If you've never been baptized, I hope that you'll have the courage to come down and say, I want to I make that step. How many of you, is anybody here did not get a communion cup when you came in? Maybe you came by these guys. If you'll hold your hand up real high, we want to make sure we get everybody a communion cup. So there's a couple people here that will be taking them around. Anybody else? Just kind of keep your hand up, if you will, until they get to you. I just want to tell you guys, I know I can't say it enough, but I feel like the most fortunate guy on the planet to get to pastor this church. And I know how thankful I am that you guys have so much patience with me. One day the construction will be complete. But until then, we're all a work in progress. Remember to keep the first things first. Love God, number one. And then the adventure of learning to love each other. It really is an adventure. And I'm so glad you're a part of that journey. As we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, and the passage we're looking at here is just before he tells the church about communion. So if you're visiting with us and you're a born-again believer, we invite you to participate. I believe the Bible teaches we're each to examine our own heart. And so Paul spoke these words to the church at Corinth. I just want us to read them together as we prepare to take communion. He said to them, after we have a moment of reflection, which hopefully we've just had that, he went on to say this. I want you to read with me, if you will, both here and those of you at home. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do, or do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then the words in white, which I just put them in white. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so if you will, if you have a communion set here, there's a little top cellophane part that you peel off that gets you to the bread. And then there's another peel that will get you to the juice. And so I want us, as we take communion today, and I thought, what a, I, I called Chuck, and Chuck was very gracious, Chuck Rucker, and got some of the deacons together. I just thought it would really be appropriate today to take communion because Paul's talking about the body, about unity in the body and coming together as the body. And so we celebrate that he died for us, but we also celebrate the body of Christ. I love you guys. It's such an honor to be a part of this church. And so as we close today, I just want us to take the, the, the wafer, take the juice. As we do it again, we're proclaiming the Lord's death.
but we're also proclaiming that one day he's coming again. Until he comes back, we take communion to celebrate that incredible gift. So let's together, if you will, just peel back the cellophane there. We'll start with the wafer and then go right to the juice. I just want you to whisper out a thanks to God as you take it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's all stand together. I just want to pray for you. Brenda and I are, Lord willing, we're heading down to Florida tomorrow to visit with Audie and Jean Lobinger. So we'll be down there for about 10 days or so. I have no idea how things are going to be down there. So it's just kind of a, a step of faith. I love you guys. I'll be tuned in next Sunday at 930 watching you guys and watching what's going on. So I always think about you. And I just want to say there's nowhere I'd rather be on Sunday than right here. So my heart will be here with you guys. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love and faithfulness. I thank you that you designed this journey as a body where we need each other. I'm thankful, God, that I need these brothers and sisters. I thank you for how you've gifted each one in this room to serve and be a part of the body. And Lord, as we draw closer to you, we want to draw closer to each other. And Lord, we want to love on you and just ask you to fill us with your spirit. And I pray that the world might see your love as we are joined together as one. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.